today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. be a priest on his throne and the council of peace will be between the two offices and again the two offices of king and priest chapter 7 is a rebuking for their attitudes they they were doing all this religious kind of stuff they were having these fasts then uh, the lord said man you're you're not doing it unto me. You're, you, even when you fast, you're doing it unto yourself. You, you eat, you do it unto yourself. You drink, you do it unto yourself. You fast, you do it unto yourself. You're, you're not including me in anything in your life. The Lord rebukes them for their religious actions for their, uh, and, and, and commands them. Again, you need to look beyond yourself. As we work our way through Zechariah with Pastor David, you will be reminded of your true purpose in this life. Your life is meant to be lived for God's glory. So often, you only give God a small portion of your life. Sunday mornings, maybe Wednesday nights, and of course a few seconds in prayer before a meal. And even those things are often more focused on fulfilling your needs. As you will be challenged in today's message, everything you do, big or small, should be done for God's glory. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Zechariah chapter 1 as he continues his message, Haggai and Zechariah, Restoration and Hope. Pretty much God's assurance to the people that he is in control over all things and that he will restore the ability for them to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. The second vision he has is still in chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. The vision of four horns and then four carpenters or blacksmiths, depending upon your version. And Whenever you see the the word horn mentioned in Scripture, it speaks of strength or it speaks of power. And when we look at this, it seems as though these four horns very possibly, they, they represent the nations, actually is what it tells us, the nations that have come against Israel. Now, that most likely was Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, and now the, the Medo-Persians. And it speaks of these carpenters, again, coming in to, to destroy those horns. Now, whether that is uh, um, the angel of the Lord to destroy and bringing down, even as we know, the scripture tells us that the Lord raises up and, and brings down princes and kings. So again, how the Lord would do that. The third vision that we have actually found in chapter two, verses one through five, and that's the vision of the surveyors and the measuring line. Uh, he says he's going to measure Jerusalem to see what its width and what its length is. And there was the angel, verse 3 tells us, who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet me, who said to him, run and speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of the men and the livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory of her midst. What he's speaking there is, my blessing is going to be on Jerusalem so great 
is that you won't be able to have a wall to surround it because of the multitude of the people. But I myself, the Lord says, I'll be a fire. I'll be your wall. I'll be your protection around you. Again, just the promise of the Lord and the blessings that he's going to bring to them. The fourth vision that he has is the the vision of, again, the Joshua's cleansing and and covering. In chapter 3, Uh, He says, he he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, standing at his right hand to oppose him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Joshua, remember Joshua was the high priest at that point in time. Joshua was standing there. He was in, in, in filthy garments and he was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. They put a clean turban on his head. On one hand, we see again, the cleansing power of of the Lord in people's lives. We see the cleansing power of the Lord in for the priest for service. But in the greater picture, we actually see the the coming of Messiah, that that great high priest, and how he will cleanse our lives. In there, in down in verse ten, he speaks of that. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and his fig tree. Speaking about the peace that's going to come, because there's going to come a a, a branch at that point in time. Back up to verse eight. I skipped that portion there. Here, O Joshua, the high priest. You and your companions who sit before you, for they are, they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I engrave its inscription. Those seven eyes, again, that speaks of the, 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 the seeing, the understanding, the, the all-knowing of God. He says, I'm going to remove the iniquity of that land in one day. And isn't that really what he did on that day on Calvary when Christ was crucified? Again, through that payment, that allowed for the iniquity to be taken away. I I love what he says in verse 10, though. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. That's a, a, a Hebrewism for a time of peace. It's just a time of peace. Come and let's just sit and rest. Guess what I've got in my backyard? a fig tree, and grapevines. I'm waiting for my fig tree to grow big enough for me to sit under it. It's not quite there yet, but uh, I figure once it gets there, maybe that's the time of peace we're all looking for. Uh, That that would be wonderful if by then the Lord comes again. Hey, the the next vision, vision, the fifth vision, is actually found in chapter four, and that's the vision of this golden lampstand fueled by this uh, olive oil that's coming from these two trees. And again, just real quickly, that declares again the faithfulness of God to supply all that's required in our service and in our honor and in our worship to him. Uh, There in verse six, he answered and said to him, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not us being able to do it, but it's the Lord empowering us by his spirit. The sixth vision, chapter five, the vision of this flying scroll. 
And again, this is a, the curse or the, the, the judgment of God on all those that are going to walk in disobedience or in rebellion. Verse, uh, in in uh, chapter 7, there's another strange uh, vision that he has of a, a basket and a woman and a lead covering and two other women with uh, uh, wings like storks that come and take. No, there's no doubt about this, that that woman there actually symbolizes wickedness. The interesting thing is, is they fly her off to make her base actually in Shinar. And Shinar is actually uh, the, the land of Babylon that, that we know now. Now, that really fits very closely with, again, the, the, the whole idea of what we see in Revelation, the woman that rides a beast, and all these kinds of things, how these things dovetail together. Vision number eight is in chapter six, vision of the four chariots. And again, very similar to what we find in the book of Revelation. These four chariots roam the earth. They maintain order at that point in time. Also in chapter 6, we see this symbolic crowning of the high priest of Joshua. And yet there's also that messianic prophecy concerning that coming of the branch that's going to build the true temple of the Lord. All of those things fitting together. The coming of Messiah. He's going to set up the throne. He's going to rule as that mighty branch, as the high priest, and as the king. He'll offer up the perfect sacrifices. Verses uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 6, where it says, Then say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch. This is now the second time. Over in chapter 3 it was, now it's in chapter 6. Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is. He will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on its throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. And again, the two offices of king and priest. Chapter 7 is a rebuking for their attitudes. They, they were doing all this religious kind of stuff. They were having these fasts. Then uh, the Lord said, man, you're, you're not doing it unto me. You're, even when you fast, you're doing it unto yourself. You're, you eat, you do it unto yourself. You drink, you do it unto yourself. You fast, you do it unto yourself. You're, you're not including me in anything in your life. The Lord rebukes them for their religious actions for their, uh, and, and, and commands them. Again, you need to look beyond yourselves. Look in chapter 7, verse uh, 8 there. The word of the Lord came to Zacharias saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, you need to execute true justice. You need to show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Stop oppressing the widow or the, or the, the fatherless, the orphan. What does James tell us that true religion is? But to care for the widow and for the orphan. He says you need to care for the alien and the poor and let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. It's just a a rebuking because, again, it wasn't just that they weren't building the temple. Their lives had walked away from the Lord during that time. We move on in chapter 8. Chapter 8 speaks of actually of after this rebuke in chapter 7, suddenly he gives them this promise of restoration and this promise of renewal, time of blessing and time of encouragement, the time of the Lord's presence, the time of the Lord's power working in the lives of the people. Look what it says here, chapter 8, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came and saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor, I'm zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. 
and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You can just see, man, just the peace that's there. The, 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 the elders sitting around, the kids playing around. Again, God's peace being on there. Now, when we get to chapters 9 through 14, here we have a very short period of time left in the study tonight. And I've got like five chapters here of the most difficult part of all of Zechariah. This is, again, where it gets into prophecies of Christ riding into Jerusalem in, in just a few days before his death, again, riding in on, on a young colt. These verses refer also through this time frame, again, of, of Christ's second coming, how he's going to save his people, how he's going to bring prosperity and peace to Jerusalem. It's in chapter 10 as we move on. Uh, again, God's indictment against the shepherds. Uh, again, possibly the rulers, the spiritual leaders, how they failed to lead the people and how the situation was going to change when Christ comes again. As he says, man, I'm going to strengthen them in the Lord and they'll be able to walk up and down in his name, verse 12 tells us. We get to chapter 11. Chapter 11, God continues with these accusations against the false shepherds and how they're misleading the people. And during, again, the, the, the ministry of Christ, Christ himself stated that he was the good shepherd and he was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He talks about the hireling that, that, that fails to take care of the flock. And that's what it seems to be the case here in chapter 10 as Zechariah, or as, as the Lord through Zechariah gives a word against those that, that were falsely leading the people. Chapter 12, again, speaking of these monumental, these disastrous events are gonna come about. Nations are gonna be involved in all kinds of battles there around Jerusalem. When, when is that battle going to take place? Well, I believe that that's the battle of Armageddon that he's speaking at at that point in time. Nations are going to be motivated to fight against the return of Christ, and yet they're going to be utterly defeated. We look at uh, Revelation chapter 19, again, how the Lord comes with his saints doing battle and doing war against them. Much of Zechariah chapter 12 uh, talks about that battle scene, how God is going to, again, defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And notice in, 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 in there in chapter 12, it's down in verse 10. He says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, what? Whom they have, what? Pierced. What an amazing declaration that is for a guy that's, you know, 500 years before the birth of Christ. They'll look on me upon whom they have pierced. And he goes on, yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for one as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. 
and the land shall mourn. Every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and on and on it goes. The reality of even here in Zechariah, they're going to look on me and whom they pierce, speaking of Christ. Chapter 13, need to move on. Uh, that, that phrase that he begins with, in that day, uh, over and over and over in this portion of Zechariah, we read that phrase, in that day. And it shows, again, that, that continuing declaration of that time of judgment, the time of the Lord coming, the time, again, uh, of, of all that's going to take place. Christ is going to defeat his enemies. He's going to begin the process of restoring real and true worship. He's going to start by by cleansing, purifying the people, even as it says there in verse 1. He's going to cleanse them, purify them from sin and from uh, uncleanness. Chapter 14. You didn't think we'd finish it up that quick, did you? Chapter 14, though, through all of this, one of the most hopeful, I believe one of the most encouraging chapters in, in, in in the Old Testament for sure, if not in the Bible. It pictures, again, Christ's intervention in in all human governments, all human affairs. It shows us that, again, he's coming in power and in glory. And again, his his millennial rule over the entire planet. In verses 1 to 3, we see where these armies come and they attack Jerusalem. But yet Christ comes in and and defeats them all. Uh, Verse 3 says, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. In verse 4, it talks about that in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. We talk about that, and there's actually a, 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 um, a geological fault that runs right down the middle of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, if you look at Jerusalem, it's right to the east of the old city of Jerusalem. There literally is a, uh, a geological fault that runs right through that. And you think, wow, and it's even declared, it's prophesied here in Zechariah that the Lord will stand. It's going to be split into verse five speaks about that all of the saints are going to be with the Lord. They're, they're going to flee, says they're going to flee through there. But uh, again, he will be thus the Lord, my God will come and all of the saints with you. The, again, that, that, that relationship there down in verse nine, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Again, speaking about that millennial reign of Christ over all of the earth. Verse 11, no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. They're not even safely inhabited right now, but in that day, it will come about. Verses 16 through 21, all nations will travel to Jerusalem to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. It's it's a great passage. Let me just read it in closing. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth that don't come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt doesn't come up and enter in, they'll have no rain. 
They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt, the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. In that day, and I love this, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. In other words, everything's going to be sanctified. Everything's gonna be holy. Everything's going to be of special use. He goes on, yes, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judea shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Why? Because everyone's lives are, again, sanctified to the Lord. So all that I have is the Lord's, man. My, my, my life, the, my, my kitchen utensils, my, everything that I have, man, it is holy unto the Lord. You know what? That's the attitude that you and I ought to have right now because there's nothing that we have but that he hasn't given to us. If, if, if I abuse, okay, I'll take it real personally. If I abuse my body, the Lord has given me this body. I'm abusing his gift. If I'm unrighteous in the stewardship of, of my time, my talents, or my money, you know what? That's bringing dishonor to the Lord. He says, what a great time this is gonna be when everything that we are, everything that we have, just declares holiness to the Lord. What a great time. What a marvelous time. The time when the Lord, again, reigning and ruling. Everyone who sacrifices shall come, take a look at them, all these, everything that's declared holy unto the Lord. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Now, what does it mean, no Canaanites? Does that mean that no Canaanites will be saved? No, that's not what he's speaking about. He's speaking that, again, at that point in time, all those who serve the Lord are gonna be worshipers. All those within the house of the Lord, they're gonna be worshipers. All those that, again, uh, they're gonna come to a knowledge of the Lord. It's not gonna be the pagan life anymore. In that millennial reign, God is gonna change things over. Is there gonna be a a change at the end of all things? Yes, we read in the book of Revelation that at the end of that millennial reign, at the end of that thousand years, Satan is loosed once more. Why? I don't know. Don't ask me, okay? I just say, be done with it. But I'm not God. Actually, I have my opinion of why that does happen. Because on, on one hand, he's, he's taking out the influence of Satan for that thousand years. But man in his own sinful nature will continue to sin, will continue to disregard the things of God. I, I understand that. But you know, I'm thinking, man, if you got Satan bound, just keep the dude bound. But he, he lets him out for a short time. He raises up that rebellion. Then God takes him at the end of that, binds him, puts him in that everlasting, eternal fire. He's done with him. And at that point in time, he ushers in that new heaven and that new earth where righteousness dwells. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm ready for the rapture anytime too. I don't want to, I don't want to go through the tribulation. I don't believe that we will go through the tribulation, but you know what? If we do, I want to make sure that you and I are ready to stand firm and fast, whatever comes our way. But again, man, it's in the Lord's timing. Let's live holy under the Lord now. Let all that we have, all that we do, all that we possess have declared across it, holiness to the Lord.
As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.